have been stirred in my spirit regarding the church. I have preached on restoring the worship of God over the last couple of years from Romans 1. And it just moved me into uh, an aspect of understanding the church and the call of the church, the purpose of the church. And I want to talk a little bit about this this morning. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant is abolished in his flesh to bring in a new covenant. For to make in himself of two, one new man, so making peace. And I want to talk about this new man today. The Bible says that he has made peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were near, for through him... We both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And I want you to just kind of look at that, if you will, verse 21 and 22. Just look at that for a moment, all right? Let's, let's, let's allow this to affect us. Let's allow it to get into our heart and our spirit. Because you've read your Bibles, you just kind of skim through these verses, you know, reading this before... Maybe even studying this before, but just let it in for just a moment. That the church of Jesus Christ is not one person. The church of Jesus Christ is a new man. It is a new creature in the earth. It did not exist prior to the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. It was not here. It is born of heaven. It is born of the Spirit of God. Its life is the Holy Spirit of God. It is not an institution. It is a living man that is in the earth. This man, this church is represented by a temple that is being built by God stone upon stone, fitly framed together. God puts us where he wants us to be. It might not be the most pleasant situations for you. But it's pleasant for God. And the purpose of this temple is that it might be the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit. That's the purpose of it. The purpose is not about your personality. It doesn't matter what you want. It doesn't matter what I want. This is not for you. We're not here. We don't exist to develop a group for you. This is for God. This is his temple. It is for his presence. And everything that's done in it, everything that is to operate in it and through it is for his glory. It's all for that. Now that has been changed over the decades. And and the church has been represented in many, many, many things. But it has never changed in the mind of God. Our society is being lost today because God is not going to compromise with his glory. God is not impressed with clever preachers. Clever organization and programs is not going to change the culture. But the spirit of God has the power to be able to convert nations and people, transform cultures and expel darkness. We acting in the name of God do not have that power. And the evidence is all around us throughout the world. 
But when we realize that we exist to be the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit, and the church is not an individual person, but the church is a corporate body of many people put together as one body, then you have the church. But for too long and too often, so many people tend to view their relationship with God and their salvation and their conversion as an individual matter. I got saved. Great. What does that mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to God? What is the intention of God in saving? Why did he save you? What's the purpose of God in saving you? So I could go to heaven when I die, not go to hell when I die. Then why didn't God, the moment you got born again, take you to heaven? There's a purpose. What is the purpose? Why did he save you? Why are you born again? And is, is it just an individual matter? And so please understand this. The church is not you as an individual. The church is a corporate body of people that have been born of God, put together to compose, if you will, a temple or in Ephesians chapter four, that which would be represented like the human body. My body made up of many parts, as you can well see. But all of these many parts make up one person, which is Jesus Christ or, or the or leadership. It makes up Lee's ship. And so the church of Jesus Christ is that. There are feet and there are hands and there are ears and there's a mouth, there's a nose and there's elbows and there's ankles all out here. And they all are to compose or to comprise one body and that is the church of Jesus Christ. And for too long, we've seen this as an individual matter. There's a lot of believers in our churches all over this country And the powerlessness of the church is the evidence of that, as well as the world where church to you and Christianity to you is just this personal matter that I got saved and and now I'm going to walk with Jesus as it conveniences me and I'll I'll do things with the church as it conveniences me, but this is not going to rule my life. I'll I'll come and go as I want. Sunday morning's good enough for me and, and, you know, I'll be back next week and, and this is just the way that it is. But that's not the intention of God. It's not what he had in mind. And I want us to see this this morning of how urgent this is. And so we're supposed to be the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit. I want you to keep your place in Ephesians. And I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. And I want you to understand the dynamics of this just a little bit more. Because what I just said is articulated better in the scriptures and he tells us this in first corinthians 12 verse 12 for as the body is one and has many members right the body has many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is christ For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member. It's not you by yourself. But it is many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand... I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Understand that. The body is not one member. It is many. And if the body is to walk without a limp in the earth today, we need the foot to be in its place. And we need the foot to recognize its value to the body of Christ. But if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now has God set the members Every one of them in the body as it pleased him. You're here 
as a member of the body as it's pleased him. And that's where we begin to function because God is building something. God is constructing his temple or his body and he needs every member to function. He needs every member to be content with the place that he puts you in the body. And in this verse or these verses that I've just read, there's an attitude, and I want to come back to it today. There's an attitude that needs to be addressed in the body. Now, I'm not addressing this. The Holy Spirit's addressing this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But the Holy Spirit understood this has to be addressed because believers that I have put into the body are going to have this attitude. And if they have this attitude, it's going to hinder me. The Bible says that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're not to hinder the Holy Spirit. We're not to quench the Holy Spirit, which tells us that it is possible For the Holy Spirit to be grieved. It is possible for the Holy Spirit to be hindered. It is possible for the Holy Spirit to be grieved. Right? Do you want to be somebody who does that to him? I don't. If you're born again, I know you don't want to be that somebody. And so the Holy Spirit deals with an attitude that will exist in his body. And he knows it. So he deals with it. And what he deals with is this attitude of inferiority, if you will. This attitude of, you know, worth or value. When he says that I'm the foot and I'm not the hand. And because I'm the foot, I'm not a part of the body. It's this feeling of insignificance. It's this feeling that I don't have much to contribute. I don't have much worth I don't have much value. A hand is more valuable than a foot in my estimation. Therefore, the church will be okay without me. Take your foot off and see how well that goes for you. You're grateful for your foot, especially when you need to walk or run. And I'm going to tell you, we're in a race right now in our culture And we need a body of Christ to be healthy so that we can walk and we can run and we can do the things that God has assigned us to do. And so this attitude that says, I'm not valuable, I'm not important, I don't have a great ministry, people don't really know who I am, I don't even know what contribution I bring into the body of Christ, that is not for you to worry about. The Holy Spirit puts value on you when he saved you and made you a part of this thing called the church or the new man or the temple of God or the body of Christ. And your value is that you're a part of this body and the Holy Spirit redeemed you and placed you into it where he needs you. And if you have an attitude that says, well, I don't need to go to church. They don't need me. I don't need to be a part of that ministry. They don't need me. I don't need to be at the prayer meeting. They don't need me. What if you're a hand? What if you're a hand in the body of Christ? And perhaps tonight the Holy Spirit is wanting to move and and heal somebody in this service. Maybe deliver, heal somebody of cancer or Parkinson's disease. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that. And let's say the hand is there. And let's say the, the, the forearm is there. And the shoulder's there. And, and, and this bicep part of your arm is it but the elbow's not here the elbow's kicked back with some tea watching a movie on netflix tonight sitting at home because it's got a busy day tomorrow and god's saying my body's there i've got my shoulder there i've got my my bicep there i've got my forearm there i got my hand there but i don't have an elbow to reach out and touch that one with parkinson's i was going to heal tonight because he said lay hands on the sick and they shall recover It's got to be more than your hand. It's got to be the hands of the body. Let the body lay its hands. And maybe you're a hand. Maybe you're an ear. Maybe you're going to hear something of the Spirit tonight in the prayer meeting. And you're going to prophesy. There's going to be somebody that says, that saved my life. 
I mean, I saw this, but I didn't hear what you heard because not everybody's an ear and not everybody's an eye. And so I hear something you're not seeing. And then that eye can say, yeah, and I'm seeing something you're not hearing. And then when we function as a body, it's like, yeah, we're strong. We can fight this enemy. We can do this. We can stand up to this culture because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And we're not hindering him and we're not grieving him and we're not quenching him because we're operating as the Lord wants us to operate. And you might say, well, I don't know what my place is in the body of Christ. Well, just keep walking in faith. He'll make it clear to you. Get as close to the church as you can. Get involved with the body of Christ that he's made you a part of. And do things. Walk with it. Run with it. Serve with it. Give to it. Pray with it. Intercede with it. Rejoice with it. Weep with it. Have all these times with it. And you will begin to identify very quickly, this is my role in the body of Christ here. And you'll know that. And so it's very important that this attitude is dealt with and the Holy Spirit knows it. And then if you continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 12... He says in verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks. This is very, very, very important. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. That's extremely important. Okay, listen. It is these two attitudes in the body of Christ that cause schisms that should not exist. One is the attitude of inferiority. I'm not what you are, so I'm not important. I'm not on the stage, so I'm irrelevant. I don't teach a Sunday school class. I'm not in the spotlight. I'm not highlighted. People are not necessarily calling on me um, for help. Therefore, I am insignificant and I am unimportant. That attitude hinders the Holy Spirit. But there's another attitude in the body of Christ, and it is an attitude of superiority. And that attitude is this. You're not as great as me. You're not as great as me because I'm on a stage and you're not. You're not as great as me because I'm a mouth and you're a toenail. You're not as great as me because this is what I get to do in the body of Christ. And you don't get to do that in the body of Christ. And I will say this to the shame of ministers. We have been the primary agents of developing that attitude in the body of Christ. Because we think we're something, but because we're up here, when Paul said in Corinthians, the only reason you're up here, a pastor or whatever, is because you are the scum of the earth. You're not the best of the bunch. You're, you're, you're the, you're the, you're the worst. You're, you're the weakest. You're all of this so that I can demonstrate my power. But yet we exalt ourselves in these things and this attitude of superiority causes division in the body of Christ and it cannot exist. It cannot. The body of Christ is valuable to God and every part of the body of Christ is valuable to God. Nobody is better than anybody else. And everybody in the body of Christ should have the same care for everybody else in the body of Christ. And so, you know, it's, it's just that, it's just that way that, that it should be. And the body becomes strong and there's no schisms in the body of Christ. And then that body can begin to function more properly as God would desire for it to function and influence the earth as God would want it to influence the earth. And these gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, these these incredible gifts of the Spirit, gifts of wisdom and knowledge and tongues, interpretation of tongues, gifts of miracles and gifts of faith and gifts of healing, all of these things that operate in the body of Christ are, are, are invaluable to us. All of these things are supposed to be taking place. And, and it's not just the, the, the ministers or the elders of the church that get to be able to participate in this. It's all of us that get to participate in this. It's every born-again child that's five years old in whom the Holy Spirit lives that gets to participate in this. The body of Christ has got to exercise the gifts of the Spirit in their life. This is so important. However, salvation typically 
engages the person as an individual. And their mindset is that this is an individual matter and I became a Christian and therefore when I die, I will go to heaven without a revelation of the body of Christ and their function within that body and how greatly we can hinder the Holy Spirit from working in the earth. When God said to this body, this church, I give you power over all the enemy. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Our personal salvation, if that is all that is in view, will give us a sense of the forgiveness of sins, peace with God, the rudiments of the gospel. But yet these very people who have that simple, limited sense of being a Christian have been basically in the same state spiritually For the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Very little progress in their life. Very little maturity in their life. Their brains have grown. Their seniority has grown. I've been a Christian for 20 years. What has it done for you? What has it produced in your life? What excitement has it brought into your life? Because you're a part of a corporate body that's doing incredible things in the earth. So what is this doing? What's the greater revelation of Jesus in your life? What's God convicting you of? What are the things that God has touched in your life? Increasing your love for God and your love for one another. These things that begin to transpire in our life. And so the essence of the new man, I want you to come back to Ephesians. And I want you to see this in chapter 1. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul makes this prayer to Christians, or far Christians, to God. And he says in verse 15, After I heard of your faith in Jesus and your love for the saints, I began to pray for you ceaselessly. And this was his prayer for Christians. Listen to this. And please, just let it penetrate you. Not your brain, but your spirit. Just let it get to you. His prayer for believers was that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, so you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I would just kind of pause there for a moment and I would like to highlight a a little phrase that's in verse 18. And that is the hope of his calling. What is the hope of his calling? When God saved you, for which you're so grateful for that God saved you. You're so thankful that God forgave your sins. Why did he do that? And there's a lot of reasons that God did that. But what is the hope of his calling? When God was doing this with you, you were in darkness. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. And Satan was your abusive husband, tormenting you relentlessly, day and night, robbing you of everything. And Jesus comes along and says, enough. And he delivers you from that oppression and death. And he gives you life all by his mercy. And and you're so happy. You're so thankful. And God was doing this. And God says, I am so Grateful, I've delighted. It has been my pleasure, according to Ephesians 1, to redeem you and to save you. It's my delight. And you're happy too. And then God picks you up and he says, now this is my hope. This is my hope with you. And God is face to face with you saying to you, this is my hope. Wouldn't you want to know what it is? What is the point of this? What is the purpose of this? You know? Is it to pray for God to give me a few more dollars a week? Is it to pray for God to make the people that I have to work around a little bit more friendly? Is is that his hope for me? Maybe I could, you know, spend some time in ministry and do some stuff like that. Is that his hope for me? I want you to go, first of all, to chapter 6 of Ephesians. And I want you to see what we know is a warfare chapter. And in Ephesians chapter 6, he says in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now he's telling you, arm up. 
for this. You have to stand against all of the strategies and weapons of the devil. So suit up, dig your feet in, stand. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're not fighting men, but how often does the church actually fight men? We are engaged with rulers and authorities, cosmic powers of darkness, a real spiritual evil in heavenly places. That's what we're dealing with. Not the kind of demonic activity that fascinates people because some plates fell out of a cabinet or in the middle of the night, I heard some chains shaking in the attic and oh my gosh, there's a demon in here and, and, and possibly so. I mean, probably so. I don't, I don't dismiss that. But if, if we think that's what's entailing in demonic activity, we've got this thing grossly misunderstood. We've underestimated our enemy and the very real threat that he has. When he engages a culture or a society, he has a very real ability to bring it down. Because these are rulers and principalities and cosmic authority. That are not just beings that can shake some dishes and, and make some noise in a house. They actually have the ability to rule the culture and create laws. And enter into your living room and take your baby's life through suicide. These powers are real and these powers are present. And these powers don't go to sleep and these powers don't necessarily ask your permission. They're pushing against your door constantly for a crack to enter in. And, and when they get it, they will come in. And that's why for God's sake and that's why for sinner's sake and that's why for our world's sake and our culture's sake, we need a church that's full of the Holy Ghost and not crippling the body so people can be saved and rescued from these demonic powers and our state and our nation and our world today could be confronted or these powers of darkness could be confronted with the light of God and so this is what we're up against and God says suit up and dig your feet in and stand because this is what you're wrestling with now if you go back to chapter 3 he tells us what the church was intended to do in regards to these powers and these principalities. Because it's really not a competition. It really isn't. The church of Jesus Christ is walking in the earth with authority and with power. If you say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and believe in your heart, it shall be done. Behold, I give you power over all the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. It's not really a competition when the Holy Spirit is doing the work. When we're doing the work, and we sit with our committees and strategize on plans to be more effective in our culture, then, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible competition. But he says here in Ephesians chapter 3 about this mystery, which is the church. He identifies it as the church. <clears throat> he says in Ephesians 3, 9, it's to make all men see. He wants to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God. <clears throat> Who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent. Or for this purpose. That you might know the hope of his calling. This is what I hoped. When I saved you. 
that unto principalities and powers, which is what you wrestle with, in heavenly places, might be known by the church, not you as an individual, but the corporate body of believers, might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, now, here is your, your great heavenly father who loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Here is your great heavenly father with incredible love and incredible mercy upon every one of us Telling us right now, this is my eternal desire. I have always wanted this. So if it was like um, Father's Day in heaven, and we ask our Heavenly Father, what do you want for Father's Day? Ephesians 3.10. That's what I want. I want my new man to be filled with my Holy Spirit. So that every person in the world can see it and the principalities and powers of hell will be destroyed by my wisdom. That's what I want. And of all the people that have ever lived, there are few that have had one of the rare privileges that you guys get to have in this generation. As we close it out, not handing it over to darkness But making sure before the Lord comes that the glory of Jesus Christ is going to be recognized in this earth. He'll fill the earth with his glory when he returns to establish his kingdom. But as it was in the first century and in other centuries, let it be in this century that they will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because the Holy Spirit is committed to doing that. And would to God that they would know that. And this strikes me when I think about this purpose of God, this desire of God that has been his his eternal desire to demonstrate his wisdom through his church. Not in the future, but now, right now. And when I think about civilization and I think about history and I think about the way man has lived on the earth, these demons have ruled mankind. These demons have stricken fear into mankind. I believe there are three prominent demons that the United States of America is dealing with today because of the church's laziness and selfishness to not function as a corporate body and back in the 1960s kept its mouth shut While they were trying to kick God out of government and God out of our public arena and establishing abortion and Baal and Ishtar and Molech came storming back with a vengeance. And that's what you're dealing with. Baal, the God of the environment. He was the God of thunder, the God of weather and the God of blessings. Molech was the one they burned their children at at the altars because he wanted the babies. And that's what abortion has done. And we've offered a hundred million babies to Moloch since the 1970s and Ishtar was the God that had no gender she was neither he was neither male nor female wanted to be called a they legion wanted to be called a they and that's why trans people are struggling over this because it's not flesh and blood it is people being held captive by a devil and the church needs to break that the church needs to do it Destroying in our young people, destroying our boys, destroying our girls, destroying our foundations. And the church sits silently by and you can't even get them to pray. Can't even pray. We would rather argue and fight and sit down at coffee and talk about how bad everything is. When Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I have given you authority in the earth, church. Not because of you, but because of the Spirit of God that I put in you. And these demons masqueraded as gods like Zeus and Apollos and Poseidon. And they struck fear and they struck terror everywhere. Wherever you went in the world, 
It did not matter wherever you went in the world. Israel, the Philistines, the Egyptians, the Aztecs, the Incas, the North American Indians, the Eskimos, the Vikings, the Germanic tribes. Wherever you went in the world, South America and the South Pacific with the, with the cannibalism, wherever it was that you went in the world, these demons were there to meet you because they took hold of the society and they caused men to live in absolute fear of them. Their groves were everywhere. They ruled on the mountaintops as they built their altars and their idols to the gods on every hill that they could possibly climb to and put a sacred altar there. They ruled in the groves. They ruled in the deserts. They ruled in the oceans. They ruled in the mountains. They ruled in the forest because men, grown men, were terrified of the forest, thinking that there was magic that existed in those forests. But it was the demons that terrified and gripped men in a dark fear until a baby was born in an obscure village in Bethlehem, who was the light of the world. And this baby that came as the light of the world came to expose the devil and expose the darkness and set men free from his captivity. This baby would grow up and challenge the devil at every avenue. And John would say of Jesus, he came to destroy the works of the devil. And the devil would say, you can't feed 5,000 people with a few fish and loaves, but the Son of God said you can. And the devil said, you can't get from here to there without a boat. But the Son of God said you could. And the devil said, when a woman's taking her child out in a coffin to be buried, that is the end until the Son of God showed up. And he gave the truth to the world. And the truth to the world is that God reigns. The Lord reigns. The Lord is alive. And he's not in competition with Satan. But he came to break the hold of the devil. And not long after Jesus' resurrection, about 50 days later or so, there comes out of the upper room 120 people that was the body of Christ in that day. There was no hindrance to the Holy Ghost. Every foot worked, every hand worked, every ear worked, every eye worked, every mouth worked. And they went forth into that world and the Bible says they turned it upside down. And as that church began to progress because of persecution by the Romans and persecution by the Jews, and they were scattered into the known world at that time, the gospel went with them. And wherever the gospel went and whenever the church went, the demons were sent into exile. No longer would they hold their control over men. Their temples would lie in ruins. Their groves would be overgrown. No one would fear Molech anymore. Poseidon would be thrown out of the ocean by the church of Jesus Christ and men would sail the world and discover new things. They weren't afraid of the forest anymore because there was no magic devils to fear. There was just a devil that we had authority over and they took the fear from mankind and they set men free. Wherever the gospel went, that's what went with it. It elevated women to a noble and holy place like unto men as well that there is neither male nor female in the body of Christ and children instead of being looked at as things that get in the way Jesus said suffer them to come to me for such is the kingdom of God for I value all life and it was Christianity that brought the value of life it was Christianity that brought the abolition of slavery it was Christianity that fought for the weak and the crippled and the poor it was Christianity that built the hospitals and prayed for the people and served the people and loved the people it was Christianity that took care of the orphans and Satan was destroyed destroyed but this church of Jesus Christ became mechanical and became political and it became weak and all that God wanted to do through it was greatly greatly hindered and would to God this would be changed for the cry of our Lord has not changed he went to that cross saying now The God of this world is cast out. And he rose from the dead and he stood with his disciples before his ascension. And he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. Go wherever you go. I am there in authority. The demons used to have the mountains. They used to have the hills. They used to have the groves. They used to have the forest. They used to have the ocean. But now it is mine. 
all authority. The mountains are mine. The forest is mine. The hills are mine. The deserts are mine. The oceans are mine. It's all mine. He bought it back and his people went fearlessly in the Holy Ghost. And Jesus was known everywhere they went. This political Christianity that is so fragile, so weak, so theoretical. Open your door and look at the world and see. We are not feared. But this God Jehovah still is. And the Holy Spirit will move for the glory of Jesus, not the glory of our program. And I want to to share this with you because I want to come back to this place of no schisms in the body. And then I'm going to try to close it with this. Don't get excited that that's in five minutes. But in Ephesians chapter 4, he says in verse 29, Let no corrupt communication, which is worthless talk, proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, murmuring and such be put away from you. With all malice, the word malice means causing trouble, disturbing the peace. And be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. The possibility of you living this way is because you're his son and his daughter, which means he has put his life in you. It's not an imitation. It's a thing of nature. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Listen to that. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. How has Christ loved us? He gave himself as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Now, we're not providing redemption for anybody, right? But if I could begin to live my life in such a way that I live... And love you like Jesus did, which is to live a life of offering and sacrifice. Offering and sacrifice. Offering and sacrifice for you. And he's dealing with this in the context of bitterness and anger and clamor and murmuring and everything else, right? And if I could live and love you like Jesus loved and offer myself and sacrifice myself for you and not be so weak. Not be so easily offended. Not so stubborn to not get over things that I have been offended with or hurt by or you ignored me or you left me out or you didn't include me. And that hurts me so badly that I'm not going to get over that. I'm I'm going to exploit that for my own purposes. I'm going to murmur about it a little bit. I'm going to get on Facebook and I'm going to write about it. You, You might as well just take the beard of Jesus and just slap him in the face when you talk about the body of Christ. Because that's not what he wants the world to see of his body. He wants his, he wants the world to see his kindness, his love, his forgiveness, his tenderness. The way he loved us. That's what he wants people to see about him. That's what's going to confuse the principalities and powers of darkness. Because listen to me. The powers of darkness are the the real force and the real enemy. That means they are strategizing and working. And they're developing a plan this week. And the devil is very skillful. He's developing a plan. He studied you. 
He knows what you have coming up this week. And so he strategized people, situations, hurt at church, all of these things. He strategized because he's counting on it that when the, the trigger of the gun is pulled, he's counting on you responding in a particular way. You're supposed to pick up your ball and go home. What Satan has planned for you, you're not supposed to get over it. You're supposed to carry it around with a hurt and with a bitterness. That's what he's counting on. But when you don't grieve the Holy Spirit, who is your only hope of being Christ-like, then the Holy Spirit flushes out that bitterness, flushes out that unkindness, flushes out that unforgiveness, and where the Holy Spirit was counting on you to behave, because all humans behave this way, you're behaving by the Spirit of God like Jesus. And he wasn't counting on that. And you just exposed him because people were watching. And they know how you were supposed to act. But you didn't act that way. Because of the power of God and the Spirit of God in your life caused you to act differently. And so in going through this, if I could, I love this illustration. And there's a couple of scriptures I would like for you to look at. Luke chapter 10 Jesus says this, I have taught this before and I have referred to it. I think it's worth repetition. In Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But he never said that the serpents would not bite you. And he never said the scorpions would not sting you. But they wouldn't hurt you, which means that the intended attack of the serpent would not be fulfilled. The intended purpose of the scorpion would not be fulfilled in your life. You would feel it. There's no doubt you wouldn't feel it, but the purpose of the serpent's bite is not going to work. And so what is the serpent and what is the scorpion? And this is in Matthew 23, and I'm talking about schisms in the body of Christ. In Matthew 23, the Bible says in verse 33, you serpents. You generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? This is strong, and now we know that serpents could be an illustrative way of speaking about people. What kind of people? He tells us in verse 27, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. He's going to illustrate how they were. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous. And you say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. We wouldn't have killed the prophets. That's what they say. And so Jesus says, okay, you're a witness unto yourself that you are the children of them which killed the prophets. Not only will you be the children of those who killed the prophets, you're going to kill the one who sent the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes. And some of them you will kill 
and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. That's what these Pharisees and Sadducees, these serpents and these scorpions do. They destroy, they attack, they kill the life of Christ wherever they see it. They will say to you, you're not holy enough to serve God. You're not worthy. There's a lot in your life that has to get right before you can walk with us. And though Jesus Christ is actually working in you and restoring you and redeeming you, it's not good enough for them. They will kill the life of Jesus. They will kill those who speak for the Lord. They will kill his prophets and his apostles. That's what they will do. They will keep the people under Moses rather than allowing them to come into the new covenant freedom through Jesus Christ. And it will be very, very effective. The bite of a serpent is meant to kill you right away. It's meant to destroy you right away. There there are people that are going to speak to you in such a harsh way to try to keep you from going back to the mall to witness for Jesus. Who in the world do you think you are? Be able to go witness for the Lord. Kind of stuff you do. Some of the ways you talk. The way you treat people. Who in the world are you to do that? And that's, that's the serpent trying to bite you. Kill you. You have no right. You're not holy enough. You're not good enough. And who is holy enough to serve Jesus? But the schisms come in because you're not good enough. And then people let that venom come into them and they begin to agree. And this is 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not good enough because I'm the foot and I'm not the hand. I'm not good enough. And we resign ourselves and schisms come into the body. And right there, um, it begins to hinder and grieve the Holy Spirit from doing what he wants to do. Listen to me. The bite of a serpent is intended to kill you right away. The sting of a scorpion is intended to paralyze you and to give you a prolonged death so that the scorpion over time can eat you. The snake wants to kill you right away. The scorpion wants to feed on you. The scorpion would be those things in your life where somebody or something hits you and it just really affects you. It could be the church because, I mean... Who hadn't been hurt in church, right? It could be the church. It could be something like that. Who hadn't been let down? Who hasn't been upset? Who hasn't been offended in the church? I mean, it just goes on and on and it's painful. It's numbing. This is the sting of a scorpion. It's difficult to swallow. There's blurred vision. I can't see clearly anymore. I have difficulty breathing. All of these things that go on because of the serpent's sting or the scorpion's sting in my life. And I'm withering away. I'm dying over here in bitterness. I'm dying over here in pain. I'm dying over here in offenses because I've been stung by a scorpion. And the purpose of that is that I will be eaten up with bitterness and abuse and depression and unforgiveness. And I'm no good to God in this condition. But Jesus said that the serpent and the scorpion will not hurt you. Meaning that... I am not going to allow it to accomplish what it wants to accomplish when it bites you or when it stings you. I give you authority over that. You don't have to be bitter. You don't have to be offended. So what if they don't have your participation or your group or this or that? Don't let the scorpion kill you with offenses. Don't create schisms and divisions and anger and unforgiveness and unkindness and and murmur and spout off underneath your breath about how you're not pleased with this and you're not pleased with that. And then you don't like this and you don't like that. And maybe we should leave here and go there and do this and do that. Don't do that to my body. No schisms in my body. This is for me so the Holy Spirit can fill it and move through it. And if the Holy Spirit can do it, it's going to be kindness. Wouldn't you like to live around that? Love, would you like to live around that? Forgiveness, 
Would you like to live in that environment? If, if you don't want to live in that environment, there's places for you elsewhere. I want to live in that environment of kindness and love and unforgiveness and mercy and grace so the Holy Spirit can move powerfully through our life. And for God's sake, let f and have some measure of help to the body of Christ in 2023. That we will contribute. We will be strong. Not that we're perfect or get everything right. This, this is the last book I'm going to read from. Acts 28. Because this is the illustration. It's beautiful. In Acts 28, this is Paul. He's washed up on this island of barbarians. And you see the illustration of it. I, I, there's so many good things here. But it says in verse 3, Paul gathered some sticks. He laid them on the fire. A viper um, came out of the heat. It bit his hand. It bit his hand. The barbarians saw the venomous beast hanging on his hand. They would have seen that and heard that if it were me. I would have been screaming like a baby. And it's hanging on his hand. They said among themselves, no doubt, this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffers him not to live. And Paul shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after They had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said that he was a God. And he got to preach to them. And he got to preach the true God. And multitudes of them got right with God. And miracles and healings took place. Not because Paul was a God. But he just did not let Satan do to him what Satan wanted to do. And so... I'm closing. When the snake bites you, people are watching. You're supposed to die. And they're going to conclude, you know, there must be sin in your life. You know, there must be this in your life, must be that in your life because, you know, you've got depression in you. So you must you you must have great sin or all of that. No, no, no. Pharisees may judge that way. The church does not judge that way. It's like, hey, if we're battling bitterness, you got help here. We're going to help you because we, we've all battled it. Depression, you've got help here. You can be real. Say, I'm, I'm going through this season of despair or struggle. You can be real with that. It's okay. We're not going to let the serpent or the scorpion have its effect in you. And so people are watching the serpent bite you, and they know you're supposed to die from this. But when you don't do what you're supposed to do, then they're going to change their minds and they're going to know this was supernatural. And when you've been hurt and you've been misunderstood and you feel inferior or perhaps you've behaved in a superior type of way and God has brought you down to humility, whatever it might be, and you get bit, you don't have to die. And if the serpent stings you because he wants to prolong your death and paralyze you and let you die of a slow bitterness or despair, you don't have to let it. He's given you power over that. And the power that he's given over that is the Holy Spirit who gives you the very life of Jesus Christ who has conquered these enemies. And when the church can live that way, And the church can be tender and kind and forgiving and not bitter and not murmuring and not complaining and not pointing out the faults of what's wrong or sometimes even good things that might be right. And we can we can be Christ like by living as an offering and a sacrifice for you. Then I can confound principalities and powers that are operating in Baton Rouge today. When I can do that for other pastors and other churches in my city, then I can, I can lay a solid blow into the devil's jaw if I can do that. 
But if I can have an, an attitude of schism or division where it doesn't need to be, then I'm going to help the devil with that. And so how do you get this venom out of you? The cross. Cross. You, you entrust that venom, your life, to the Lord. God, I have been bit. Let it be for your glory. Let it be for your sake. And in this sting or in this bite where I'm supposed to die and Satan is supposed to win, provide a resurrection. And you know that God is at work when you can say sincerely from your heart, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. They really don't know because my battle is not with people. It's with principalities and authorities and powers. And I don't want to give the devil an inch. Now, this is what God has always wanted. If you could ask your father right now, Father in heaven, what do you want? I want you to fellowship with my church. I want you to operate in my body. So that today in 2023... I can expose the devil's darkness and lies. And maybe tens of thousands of people in Baton Rouge would come to me. All right, Father. I love you. I I, want to give you that. So I'm going to lay down these hindrances. And I'm going to give you that now. And I want to operate like that. And I'm going to trust you, the Holy Spirit, to put me where you want me to be and work through my life how you want me to work. I'm not going to be a spectator. I'm just going to love you and I'm going to love people and I'm going to look for opportunities to serve. And where something's wrong and something's messed up or something's weak or something's bad in the church, I'm going to make it better. I'm not going to point out what's wrong. I'm just going to make the church better. I'm going to love it more. I'm going to, I'm going to serve you, Lord. I'm going to serve your people. Stand with me. What I would say to you this morning is you need the Holy Spirit. You will not retain a lot of this information. And the devil will certainly strive to get you to disagree with it. That you have a right to be upset. That you are unworthy to serve Jesus. Or that you're better than other people. That's what the devil would want you to believe. But the Lord, your Father in heaven, wants you to believe that he has qualified you through his son Jesus. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And he has given you gifts that are gifts of grace, not gifts that you earn. So that through your weakness, not your greatness, the Holy Spirit can demonstrate Jesus. Some of us this morning need to come and shake the snake into the fire and just believe I'm not going to let it affect me the way Satan means to affect me. I've been mad at people. I've been offended with people. They're not my enemy. But I've been dealing with this as though they are the enemy but the devil's the enemy Father I just want to live a crucified life for you that you can be glorified with my life raise me up from this Lord raise me up from it bring a resurrection out of it God how many of you would say this morning Father I want to be a profitable instrument in the body of Christ I want to be a profitable member and I need a spirit filled life I want to be governed by the Holy Spirit. And when there's an emotion in me or there's a fear in me or there's a bitterness in me and and I succumb to that, give me the grace to repent. Give me the grace to repent, to serve you well, serve your body well. How many of you would recognize and believe that the greatest need for our world today 
is a church full of the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean you can walk on water or raise the dead. It means that you can love the unlovely. And you can forgive. Because that's Christ-like. And you're not supposed to act that way. But that's the way Jesus has. As we worship the Lord this morning, the altars are open for you to come just to sit before God. The devil's already engaged in a battle to take this from you. And for many of you, it was life. And it was an answer. An answer you needed. An answer you've been praying for. Do business with God. Do business with God right now. Everything that happened today was for this moment. It's not the moment to exit. It's the moment to do business with God. Let Him plant this in you. Let Him speak to you.